everybody. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of the Robin Report, and along with our chief strategist, uh, Shelley Cohan, who, by the way, is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, uh, we welcome you to our conversation on the topic of the SACS breakup or breakdown. <laughs> I'm going to start out with uh, what I, the, the first paragraph of the article I, that ran uh, yesterday. It says, I will state my conclusion right up front. I believe Richard Baker's move to uh, split the Saks Fifth Avenue and its e-commerce business into separate companies, which he calls unlocking value, is simply attaching a fancy financial buzzword actually disguising what will ultimately lead to a real estate play. In fact, somewhere way down deep in his real estate DNA, either consciously or unconsciously, he clearly sees this personal cash generating machine where it always has been in real estate. So don't fall for unlocking value in the retail enterprise as a strategy to improve and accelerate the growth of the retail business. You know, I've had fun over the past couple of decades, first covering uh, Eddie Lampert's publicly declared intention to return Sears and Kmart to the iconic and powerful brands they once were. And the second covering Richard Baker's acquisition of Saks Inc and Lord and & Taylor and adding those two brands to HBC already under his ownership. And Baker also declared that he would create synergies that would re-energize Saks and save the sinking L&T business. Well, neither has happened. And of course, the fun part of it for me was in kind of challenging myself to learn more about these two audacious moves by two audacious outsiders whose credentials and roots were similar in figuring out how to make a lot of money, but they were grounded in and driven by their brilliance actually in two totally different professions. Neither of them with one iota of experience in retailing. Richard Baker, of course, built a multi-billion dollar real estate business and Eddie Lampert built a multi-billion dollar investment firm. And having given them their well-deserved kudos, which I did, for their enormous success in their respective professions, I then began to observe how over a really fairly short period of time, there was not a smidgen of evidence that any of the brands had been improved, certainly not re-energized. Shelley, your thoughts? Well... <laughs> Well, Ron, first, the Saks brand has kind of been plagued by its own history, having lived it at some time during the mid 2000s. Um, I'm not going to bore you with a history lesson about the company, but just looking over the past two decades, the company has really failed to deliver a unique value proposition to its target market, and it keeps shifting its strategy. As you recall, Tina Johnson was at Saks from 2000 to 2003 as CEO, but came up through the store operations ranks. And for a fashion company, it should really be run by a head merchant. Then Fred Wilson came in 2004 to 2006, 
and in two short years really created a lot of confusion for the target market, making swift changes to the strategy, including eliminating the private label brand Real Clothes, which at the time was about a $60 million high margin business. Saks marketing strategies started chasing a young, much younger customer, which then alienated kind of its older core customer. And it really wasn't until Steve Sadoff as chairman and CEO of Saks Incorporated that the company right. actually seemed to run efficiently. The CEO position at Saks was eliminated. They brought in Ron Frash, who became the chief merchant and vice chairman and notably brought back the Saks private label business. In 2013, when HBC bought Saks, they brought in Margay McKee, who used to run Harrods and was a chief merchant, but she was only there for one short year. And now Mark Metric, who has a store operations and financial background, is at the helm as president and CEO. Meanwhile, if you look at the Saks.com business, which launched in 2000, that business went from a model of fulfillment in stores to a centralized fulfillment model back to a store fulfillment model. The business had its own e-com hierarchy in the early years, just like many other e-com businesses that were run by legacy retailers. And Robin, if there's one thing we have learned since the boom of e-com is that the business should be run holistically and not siloed. The Saks website, even with its new design and its shopping app, falls short of what I would consider a luxurious experience. My point of view is that even when there was a synchronized strategy, the online business is challenged and would not be considered best in class. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna pile onto that, Shelley. Uh, totally agree. Uh, you know, Baker was quoted in a Women's Wear Daily article, quote, this is just early days for online shopping, especially in luxury. There is an opportunity for luxury to triple its size online. No one really knows how retailing is going to play out. With this move, uh, we are redefining the luxury shopping ecosystem. The uh, transaction we have with Insight Partners, an investment firm, which by the way was a $500 million investment in the e-commerce entity, uh, which really kind of suggested a run for an IPO at some point. Right. Baker, Baker then went on to say, quote, this enforces HBC's ability to unlock significant value within our company's assets. Boy, this is more abracadabra as I used to, to accuse Lampert of pulling a rabbit out of a hat every time he got in trouble, he'd pull something else out, find some, something else to unlock. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, Mr. Baker, giant and successful retailers such as Target, Walmart, Nordstrom, and by the way, even Amazon, who is accelerating in its brick and mortar expansion all of them know, quote, how retail is going to play out, unquote. In fact, Richard, everybody in the industries who, who, whose heads have not been stuck in the sand know that success in the future depends on a seamless and totally integrated store and online business. 
as one, as Shelley put it, holistic ecosystem. So Baker's <laughs> other comment about this move unlocking significant value, quote unquote, within our company's assets. Oh boy, it's so Eddie fast cash Lampert, as I used to call him. It's so much out of his playbook. I, I said, it makes my teeth hurt. <laughs> so I, I kind of exaggerate to make that point. Anyway, as I said in my opening, uh, Richard Baker, really the mastermind of real estate, he does now understand how horrifically challenging retail really is. And since he has not been able to significantly move the needle, in fact, has failed to hardly move it at all in his retail holdings. It's, it, it's a matter of fact, in one of Women's Wear Daily's retail summits, as he was interviewed on stage, and I'm gonna paraphrase this, because I don't have the exact quote, but he said, just that. He said, retail is incredibly tough. Real estate, not so much. I repeat, real estate, not so much. Do you think that suggests that he may be inching towards his default skill? Hello? <laughs> well, the newly, the newly announced business model is like a throwback to the past legacy model. So we're going from omni-channel focus back to the past of a multi-channel focus. Mark Metric called it, quote unquote, a disruptive business model and Saks is breaking the mold. I guess the hope is to run physical and online stores separately from a management and operational perspective, both having different investment strategies yet provide amazing seamless customer experience across channels. Sachs said the customer experience is going to improve and customers won't realize there are two separate entities delivering that experience. Good luck. Sachs is severely underestimating a very omniscient customer. Of course, they will realize the experience is completely different. The first thing they're going to do is Google it and find that Sachs is owned by two different companies. It's very confusing from a customer perspective, seeing SFA and Saks.com. And one key element missing throughout this entire discussion about the split business model is the focus on merchandise. Where is the key merchant? What is the product point of view for a business that prides itself on being the king of luxury or queen of luxury? What fashion designers are gonna be brought in? What will the assortment look like? What's the cutting edge fashions? How will they be decided upon? The whole business model is being built by operators and in a luxury fashion business, it simply won't work. Running an online business separate from the stores appears to be a setup for disappointing customers. Even if we look at the customer journey, it starts online. And if the product assortment or pricing is different, when customers visit the stores, that is the first service gap failure. The products being ordered online and fulfilled by stores while cost effective can also lead to other service issues. Executing click to door where the customer now is expecting one to two day delivery. Product cancellations based on inventory management systems that are not synchronized real time. Reverse logistics, returns, out of stocks, merchandise in transit, 
and curbside pickup, ion line pickup and store, both of those factors require a complex integrated infrastructure to execute. So we're now talking about synergies across two separate companies. Add personalization across online and physical stores, even companies that are actually executing omni-channel experience today are not creating a hyper-personalization, unless of course you're Amazon or Netflix. So if Saks is committing to higher level of personalization through this split company model, it's a tall order. Well, to throw a line out there, an opinion of mine, I don't think uh, Richard Baker uh, understands what personalization means in this industry, but that's a whole other subject we could go into. And I'm not, again, I'm not being critical of Richard Baker's intelligence. He's brilliant in what he does best. Anyway, Shelly, you know, you hit on most of the key success factors that are required for a luxury business and an e-commerce model. So, I mean, yeah, come on. Who is the key merchant? Do we remember that phrase? It still exists today, product, product, product. That's so right. With, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. So along with Baker's quote about unlocking value, metrics comments would raise the question of where's the value? Kind of like, <laughs> remember that slogan? Where is the beef? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think Baker will find and define where the value is. And it will be similar to Lampert's in-game, which was dragging the retail business to the edge of the abyss, where for Sears, there's no lifeline. I mean, think about it, Shelley. When, when, when Eddie realized he could not return, return those two brands uh, to greatness, he defaulted to what he's brilliant at doing, financial engineering. So in a word, and by the way, tons of articles I wrote, he managed to financially engineer the brand down and soon out over a decade and a half of moving what I call the deck chairs around, leaving the Titanic to sink. <laughs> well, he brilliantly sailed away in a lifeboat along with tons of cash by separating the assets like uh, the great brands Kenmore, Dyer, Craftsman, and others, and combining them under another entity, securitizing them, so to speak, separate from Sears, to sell them as a wholesaler to other retailers, by the way, which I think Craftsman is sell, selling into Home Depot. Anyway, and ultimately to sell the brands to another acquirer. Another thing he did, uh, you know, was forming a REIT, um, Real Estate Investment Trust, to acquire Sears real estate to lease back to the operating stores. Obviously the release to be raised over time, which everybody knows slowly bleeds the retail business to death. And by the way, <laughs> who knows real estate better than Richard? And we'll see that coming. Anyway, and in the end, uh, the real estate could also be sold, the Sears real estate. And there were numerous other value unlocking examples there. Too many to list uh, here. So I, I guess the thought is unlocking value is, it's just a quick euphemism for separating all of the assets 
and placing a value on each that ultimately makes the sum of the parts more valuable than the whole. So I believe Baker is on a similar journey, either consciously or unconsciously, which suggests similar results for the retail business. He will find, define, and he'll place value that he can unlock. But folks, at the end of the day, it won't be in the retail business. Robin, it just comes down to the fact that a successful business cannot serve two masters. It just doesn't work. A public company that is driving merchandising and marketing for a privately held company and both have to work synergistically to execute the business model, all the while thinking the target market won't notice? <laughs> Shelly, <laughs> hold on, hold on. They are not reporting to two different uh, leaders. They're serving one, Richard Baker. <laughs> and what does that say? It says the same thing I started with. It's all gonna end up in a real estate deal. Forget about it. Anyway. <laughs> well, I want to thank our listeners. Uh, you can find more of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. Yep. And also, as I said, if you go to our site, you can uh, and, and read that article. And right below the article will be links to really tons of articles that I've written about Eddie Lampert over the years and also uh, on Richard Baker when he came on the scene. And they're all on the robinreport.com. And once again, if you've got a topic you want us to cover, please email me, uh, robin at therobinreport.com. And thanks again for joining us.